Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Today to put the her and cultural, cultural. Oh, I mean, yeah, I heard it. It works. I heard. I didn't even I have heard to. The, you say. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have to technically change the rules of the English language to get it in there. So, growing up, because my dad, we would have to go to like Hebrew class uh-huh. sometimes when he was teaching. And uh, I just remember my dad insisting, like, if you're going to say Hebrew words, you have to really get the right. like the throat in, which is a lovely sound for all you people listening, I'm sure. And anyway, I just thought, anyway, my name is Summer Yeager. So every once in a while it still comes it's out. It still just, like, com- and comes up in my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. No one... No one knows yet how funny this moment is. Right. And they won't know until the very end. Just buckle up. This is quite the episode. You guys won't know until the end of the show. Right. Why I'm just waiting for you to say what you're going to say. I know. We're going to stop trying to explain the timeline of these events. I mean, it's like watching a Christopher Nolan movie. (laughs) This episode. You guys don't even know how this. Cerebral, guys. (laughs) If everybody, I need everybody, if you haven't left an <laughs> iTunes review or a Spotify review, can you please just do that right now? And I just want you to comment, you know, obviously 18 stars if it's on an 18 mm-hmm. star system. And I just wanted to say cerebral, <laughs> please. Because on Spotify, we got categorized as a comedy. So if we could be categorized under cerebral, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> or like watching a Christopher Nolan film. Right. That would be great. Right. Okay. Anyway, you go ahead. Um, well, you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And Summer, there are, I don't know if this is exactly what you were going to talk about a few minutes ago, which will actually be at the end. In the future. Okay. Anyway, again, the timeline here. Uh I realized there are two kinds of people okay. with food preferences. Oh, yeah. So these are the distinctions I'm going to make. Okay. There is one kind of person who has their fav- their favorites and their preferences, and they are going to be the same every time. My favorite candy. Mm. Favorite ice cream. Mm. Favorite sandwich. Mm. There you go. We know. This is it. I found it. There is another type of person mm. that has sort of a field mm. of preferences to pull from. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, I'm kind of feeling like this today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realize that those two people marry Get each married. other. Yes. And Absolutely. <laughs> and then one person mm-hmm. is constantly trying to do something nice for the other person. Yeah. 100. And 100. And that person's like, oh, I wasn't really feeling like butter pecan ice I cream today. I didn't want that. I wanted the it's same. It's like, oh, well, the last time you got, yeah, the last time you got ice cream, you got butter pecan. And it's like, oh, well, well I don't always I like want. butter pecan. That's what I want. <laughs> yes. So which one are you? 
Yes. Um, so I'm a field. Oh, I'm a field as well. I'm a field. And I'm the one that mm-hmm. my husband tries to do nice things for me all the time. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't really feeling like that. And he's like, oh. But if I know if I went and got, yeah. I know if I got him Reese's or a vanilla milkshake, absolutely, he would never turn. Like, yeah. And that's, and if I asked him what he wanted, that's all he would say. So the next question is, are we just talking about women and men? Are there other kinds of people? I just mean, <laughs> like, can we say that men? Oh, because oh. Eric, is it men are like, okay. this is what I so like. So you're saying that one of them. Okay. And then the women are like, I have a. We'll f- cue the emails f- for all the. <laughs> I have a field ex- that I'll choose from. <laughs> right. Whereas like, I know what my husband orders at every place that we go. He's Is it a man and a man? He's never going to order man, anything Man, I wish different. we had known what we were going to say now and then we could have asked our guests. I know. Boo. What were you going to say about when I you just, were talking so I know, in the future? <laughs> yeah. When I, um, I think like theologians, they all have. Do you know a pastor, author, public theologian, apologist, whatever, that isn't extremely picky about their food? Like they know what they want. Kind of mm-hmm. like that second thing. Mm-hmm. They know what they want. They have strong feelings about it. Right. It's special. It's the best. Right? It's the best. I don't know one that isn't like that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Because I'm finding that to be very They are all of the male sort. I mean I definitely I do want to make a little distinction here. I know a lot of men and I know pastors that will gratefully eat what you put before them. Oh, That's yeah. not what we're talking My about. My husband didn't gag about the lemon chicken. Right. You guys don't even know about that yet. <laughs> That's in the more future. That's in the future future. <laughs> That's what happens when we record multiple episodes in, in one, one day. day. <laughs> you guys have so many things in store. You don't even know. In this in several weeks, this is all going to make sense. <laughs> you only have to stick around for months at a time <laughs> to understand our hilarious We've jokes. You. We've hooked you Our in. jokes are valuable because they're, they're cerebral. They're here for the long <laughs> Oh, no. I just think, like, you know, everybody knows if my dad is in a state that has taco time, he's right. going to go to taco time. He's going to buy all the taco time sauce. That's what he's going to eat. Yeah. And until he has the taco time again, nothing will suffice. Right. And, you know. And if you tried to bring him something and be like, this is kind of like taco time. He'd be he'd like, be no, like, it's not. I don't. I already know. I, I haven't even eaten it. I don't even recognize and that. I already know. I can not. already. I know from the smell that it's not like taco time. <laughs> That's what he would tell you. <laughs> I sniffed it and it didn't pass the test. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's no taco times in this state. So when you walked in the door, I, I knew. knew you would not have taco time. <laughs> and I really think um, uh, there's, I think there's a connection between the theological knowledge and, and how the, particular you are and how particular you are about your food. I just it's like there's so much information in there that it's like you only have this much I space just, to care about yeah, food you have one slot one for food ice cream flavor yes and soda what you drinks, like to eat on your birthday whatever. and yeah. Christmas morning. oh for sure birthday Christmas like you've got opinions on these things and any detour is just right. gonna detour you off into a 
theological tirade. So really people think <laughs> they're having the most intense conversations with all these theologians on social media, but really they haven't even gotten. They don't even actually know. They haven't even you guys talked think my dad's to intense? Pastor James about taco time. Have you tried to have dinner with him? It's intense. There's... Some of them are probably like, yes, I've tried. <laughs> I've but emailed there, so many times. But there was a taco time and he wouldn't come over because <laughs> he had to go to taco time. Yeah. Well, and now he travels. That's a good tip. If you live in a state with a taco time, do, are there multiple states? Is yeah. this a regional thing? Okay. As I know there's some in Utah because my dad drove from my house in Vegas to the taco right. time. The first taco mm-hmm. time he could get to in Utah. Like he GPS. Yeah. Taco, taco time. time. He, I had to look at where was the nearest taco time to the Utah Air, Salt Lake Airport. <laughs> For my dad. So now I now I know where he is. So I actually know. There's and several. <laughs> There's several. Um, and then when he went to Idaho, he got to go to Taco Time. Okay. Like he went if to he, Idaho. If you where, want, Pastor... where Rachel, where Jankovic is cooking good food. Right. Yes. And the soup queen Rebecca Merkel is making good food, and my dad went to Taco Time. Well, just because you have preferences doesn't mean they're always. Good. Bless his heart. I Though know. I've never had taco time, so I forgive me. Let's get in a car. Let's go. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, know where, where they are. Is right now. I know where they are. But yeah, if you live in a state where there's taco time, that may be a way That's to how you uh, lure, further how do you lure, lure James him. White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the promise of taco time. <laughs> uh, dear Dr. James White, <laughs> we have approximately 42 taco times in our state. <laughs> I've you? listed them all. In order of Closest efficiency from <laughs> and my <taste>. church. <laughs> I have actually created a route for you from your home to my church and included all, you hit all the taco, all the taco times time you possibly could. Come speak to us about textual tip. criticism. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well. If you love Taco Time, too, you can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475. Today, we are having a guest on, Uncle Gary. Mm-hmm. I was telling you, um, I don't know if he doesn't remember this because, I mean, so unimportant. Uh, but my dad did a cruise. It was Alpha oh, Omega. Yeah. And it was American Vision. That's right. And I got to go. I was 12, 12 or 13. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the one to Alaska. I'm almost positive. Maybe not. Ooh, I could be wrong. Anyway, all that to say on cruises, which I feel are a thing of the past now and or mostly associated with things that you do after you retire. But I digress. I love cruises. Maybe I'm an old person. I just love being Is, in the do you water. Think, do you think our new socialist overlords have much of a cruise budget no. for each of us? None of us are going to have a cruise budget uh, when the socialist overlords are in total control. Come on this cruise. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Don't go on the I cruise. I know we're landlocked and <laughs> if it's socialist... it looks like high cement walls, but... <laughs> It is all inclusive. There's just a poster <laughs> of a giant ship over right. over the yeah. over the work camp yeah. you're mm-hmm. going into. Yes. Yeah, if a socialist overlord invites you on a cruise, say no. Yes. Don't go. Yeah. Anyway, but back in uh, you know, the early aughts. Back when cruises were actually cruises. <laughs> um, the moral of the story is that every night if you go to dinner, 
you get seated at a table, like there's seating, like this right. is where you eat. Mm-hmm. This is the time that you eat at. You have to kind of dress up. It's right. very old fashioned mm-hmm. and lovely. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And, uh, I had I was seated at the table with Gary and his wife for the whole seven days, and I just thought I I had no idea who they were. At right, all. I was thirteen, twelve. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, and here we are. And uh, I just twenty years later thought, yeah, I was like, well, these people are so fun. I don't know who they are, but it, what just how much fun are they? And then uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I heard people talking about Gary Demar, and I'm like, Gary Demar. Man, I ate a lot of dinner with he and his wife. <laughs> what is he up to? I don't know. Anyway, yes, and now here we are. He's up to many things. <laughs> when I'm in... Including being interviewed by us. Yeah, when I'm over 70, I just want to be as cool as Gary DeMar. Seriously. That's, like, that's what I'm shooting for. I better for. get to work. I know. We better start all reading his books. We actually don't mention it in the interview, but... Books. He's written a lot of books. A lot of about books. About... Quite a few things. And a lot of them are very, very accessible. Yeah. So you should just check out his whole library. And he has good book uh, recommends at the end, too. Yes. He's been also reading books for a long time. Yeah. So. He just, he reads better than you. He writes better than you. And he's just really fun. Anyway. Here he is. We've already recorded the interview. Enjoy. (laughs) So as you can tell from the title of this episode, we are joined today by Gary DeMar. And we're so happy to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's good good to be on. My my daughter in law is very excited about this. So, um, and some and she'll probably tell lots lots of her friends because she does listen uh, to you all the time. We'll have to say hello. That's Katie, right? Katie, yeah. that's Katie. Mm-hmm. Katie, yeah. yes, I've seen. Oh, you Katie. have to meet. You have to come. You know, you're getting this neck of the woods. You, you need to spend some time with Katie. Katie seems uh, really, really fun. So she, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a fan too. Yeah, yeah she's, she's, <laughs> she's great. So. Well, we are so excited to have you on. I know that, um, you know, you've been on Apologia Radio and you guys have had these kinds of discussions before. But when I wanted to think about giving our audience a framework for kind of how to look around at what's happening in our nation right now and hopefully have a discerning eye like how do you read what is going on I think there's some obviously very foundational issues but I wanted to throw you a question somebody asked me back in March of 2020 that I have been thinking about ever since Uh, and it was really when the mask mandates were starting and she said to me you know it just doesn't make any sense that this would be a political issue and she was amazed that there's this huge uh, divide between what would be considered a right politically or left politically between people who support mask mandates and now vaccine mandates and those who don't. And I think that is such a, when we're talking about mandates, we're already at such a symptomatic level, right? Instead of a foundational level, like where could this even be coming from? But I would love to hear your answer to that. Why is there such a divide on something like mandates? I, I think I think this whole thing really comes down to who was in office at the time, and it was Donald Trump. And as a result of that, they took positions contrary to anything Trump was doing. Now, consider that when Trump pushed forward to get this ma- the vaccine. Uh, completed in record time, 
you know, Kamala Harris and Biden opposed it. They mm. said they would not trust any vaccine that Donald Trump had anything to do with. Mm. And so when he while he was president, they they had no interest in the vaccine at all. And then, of course, during that whole time, in fact, there were signs around here all the time about how all the healthcare workers were heroes and on and on and on. Right. Soon as soon as Biden gets into office, the, it was the the whole the whole script flipped. Mm. And now you have to get a vaccine. You have to be masked. I just think the whole thing from the start was was political. And I think Fauci, look, he's an establishment guy. He was around. He's been around since the the, the Reagan years when uh, HIV, when AIDS was an issue. He goes back that far. Wow. So he he is part of the um, the administrative. Uh, focus of our government. We, got, we have, you know, we have the three branches of government, and then we have the administrative branch. And the administrative branch is made up of bureaucrats who are always there, no matter who is president. These people end up running the kind of the backstory of the of the political agenda. They're making laws. I mean, this this uh, they think of all of these different things. They come up with twenty five hundred pages of this, twenty five hundred pages of that. Who do you think wrote all that stuff? It wasn't these congressmen. They haven't even read it yet. So there is a kind of a backdrop of all of these alphabet soup uh, political entities, and they are political entities, all based in Washington D.C. in the northern part of Virginia. And I just think this is a a, a control factor. Um, I, I think at the beginning people said, "Hey, I'm okay." You know, with the you know with the washing your hands and using the disinfectant here and there and putting a mask on and and flattening the curve in a couple of weeks, I, I think everybody went along with that. And say, hey, I can do that. That's not a big deal. Then I just think the whole thing became political, and I think that the Democrats saw this as a way to to get Trump out of office. I, I believe if this whole COVID thing hadn't happened, Donald Trump you know, laying aside the idea, even the 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 assumption that possibly the election was rigged. I really believe Trump would have won handily because the economy was going so so good. Mm-hmm. They were able to they were able to destroy the economy enough to take it off off the, the table as something that Trump did well. That's so that that's my general opinion about all this. Wow. Um, I guess the next question that I have would be. Uh, why why are they were they so intent on winning the election? Do they have plans that they'd like to enact other than just like, hey, our side won this time? Um, well, yeah, they, look, <laughs> again, you have to ask the question, who's who's behind this three point five trillion dollar boondoggle right. that the Democrats are pushing? Who, who these guys, the Democrats, the Democrats haven't written this thing. This is this has been in place for for probably decades, all these different uh, programs and the funding of those programs and so forth. The, the, the goal here is to get make more people dependent upon the state. Mm. Uh, this this is this is why the Biden administration uh, you know, continues to push for this idea. Well, you know, we're going to pay you so much money and then people end up staying home. Dependency on the state. And, and they've always had a, a basic voting block that they could they could count on. Uh, but you know, Rush Limbaugh always talked about how you there's always something that comes up 
in in, in the the election cycle. And before it used to be every four years. Now the election cycle is every day. Right. Yeah. He, he always said there, there are things that you just don't know about that there no one can predict any of these things. Uh, you know, Rumsfeld talked about, you know, unknown unknowns. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, what does that mean? Well, they're just things we just don't know what are gonna, what's going to happen. And I think the Democrats, you know, they, they got into power. Uh, then what happened here in Georgia the, with, with the election, we lost both, both of those seats, uh, un- unfortunately. And part of it was is a lot of people decided they weren't going to go to the polls because they, they, they were cheated the first time around and they, they, weren't gonna, they didn't want to be cheated again, so they stayed home. So we lost those two seats. But then what happened was is that these two Democrat senators uh, decided they weren't going to go along with all of this. That was unpredictable. They didn't know anything about it. Then what had ended up happening is, is that the Democrats, as typical of the Democrats, they always go too far. They always say, look, we know we can just do a little bit more. And what ended up happening is, is that the Democrats started trying to take over the whole the whole school system with with, with critical you know, race theory right. teaching. And you saw what happened at the school board meetings. Those, those school board members are are downright evil. But I don't think anybody really knew that. They didn't realize how bad these people were. And that was a that was one of those unknown unknowns that is really damaging the Democrat Party. And this is going to affect the election in Virginia. I'm not so sure if it's going to happen, the the, the, uh, gubernatorial election in Virginia and possibly in New Jersey. Uh, No one would have predicted that uh, McAuliffe would be neck and neck and some polls even have him losing uh, to the Republican to the Republican. Uh, so I, I, I look at all this, and there's a passage out of Second Timothy, you know, chapter three. Uh, most people they read Second Timothy chapter three, they they read it as a depiction of what's going to take place in the distant future. They read it eschatologically. Now there is an eschatological element to it, but it's not nothing to do with what's going to take place in the distant future. And if you read the first seven verses in there, it it looks awful. The description of, uh, of of what you know Paul describes there is just awful. People, lovers of self, it just it goes on and on and on. And uh, the what's what's interesting about this is is that most people just stop at the at the seventh verse. And Paul goes on to say, and he uses this example of Janus and Jambres. Janus and Jambres were the two sorcerer high priests who confronted Moses and Aaron when they came in from the desert and they, Moses comes in and God says, let my people go. And then there's this battle between the, the sorcerer high priests, Janus and Jambres, and Moses and Aaron, and Aaron throws down his rod, it becomes a serpent. They throw down whatever they had and it, it you know, the serpents show up as well. And then uh, Aaron's, Aaron's rod and the serpent ends up consuming them. Right. And what, Paul does. He uses that as an example. Paul is, was describing the things that were taking place in Timothy's day. He wasn't describing things that were going to, just going to take place in the distant future. It was a depiction of what was taking place in his day, and things looked really bad. But then Paul goes on to say, they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. 
Uh, and that, it, to me, is the indicator that what happens to unbelieving thought as it, as it becomes more and more consistent with itself begins to disintegrate. It, the, the center doesn't hold. And that's what we're seeing right now. We are beginning to, we are seeing the consistency of an absolute unbelieving worldview. And as it becomes more and more consistent with itself, you'll, it, it's, it's going to destroy itself. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He gives Timothy advice as to what he should be doing while this is taking place. And it essentially is reconstructing his own life and his own world for this inevitable collapse. And then you have the last two verses of 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says, uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. And so that's what we as Christians ought to be doing as we see the disintegration of the, of, uh, the unbelieving worldview. And think, I don't know if, you, if you've been following this in the news, but the NAAC, uh, NAACP has come out and says, once the NFL, NBA, WNBA, uh, probably Major League Baseball, and, and said that, the, that black athletes should not sign with any teams in the state of Texas because of its anti-abortion law. And the interesting thing about it is they centered in on abortion, saying because this abortion is, is uh, impacting to minorities and they should be permitted to have abortions. Well, wait a minute here. That, that's an eschatological issue here. They're, they're killing off their future. Right. Then there's an article that just came out about uh, young, young women who are actually uh, sterilizing, having themselves sterilized so they will not have children. Uh, so this, what's, what we're seeing here is the unraveling of the left. Uh, it, it, the only reason they stay in power, there are two, two main reasons they stay in power. The first main, main reason is no one knows what they're doing behind the scenes. And the other reason is, is the, the media keeps it quiet as to what's really going on behind the scenes. Those two things keep us unaware of what's taking place. But unfortunately, what they haven't realized is, is that as much as they try to stop media like what, what, what you're doing, they, they, can't, they can't contain it enough. There's too, much, there is, there's too much opposition media out there that's making these things known. And a lot, as a result of that, these parents are going to these school board meetings and you know, exposing all kinds of bad things. So that's, that's kind of my perspective of what, what I'm seeing. So things are going to get better, <laughs> but they might get bad first. Well, I, look, anytime something like this happens, it, it's, it's going to, it could be rough. It doesn't have to be though. I mean, that, that's my, my point. You can't just sit back and just say, wait for the collapse to take place. What, what we need to be doing as Christians is, is preparing people. You know, they need to, people need to get out of debt. They need to get their kids out of, out of public schools. There are all these things that they can do now in terms of freedom to, to lessen the blow when it possibly comes. I mean, we got we you know, have a, we have an election. I don't know how, where this is across the country, but on, on Tuesday, uh, there's a there's a big election, and you know Christians need to get to the polls and 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 vote, and throw throw first we need to throw the Democrats out, and then second we need to throw out the Rhino Republicans, and probably in 2022, so mm. that that's that should be our job at that level. But 
at the, at the basic level, we need to get our, our, ourselves in order, self-government, our families in, in order, you know, prepared, teaching our children, learning various skills and so forth. And again, the big one is, you know, staying out of debt, you know, get your, get your, your, your house, literally get your house in order, uh, you know, maybe cut down on, on the size of the house you want to buy or how many, how, you know, hold on to your cars a little bit longer, you know, just, you're going to have to make some, some preparation because the other side does not quit. Typically, conservatives quit after they win one election. They think they won the war, and that's not the way it works. Yeah. Well, you know what? Earlier you said something that I want to go back to a little bit, which was that you said really without qualification that right now the government is working hard to make people dependent on the state. What yeah. I'm, what I'm, and I totally agree, and I think that that is obvious. But what I keep running into, I think, with well-intentioned Christians, is they are allergic to the idea to even importing nefarious motives in any way, despite the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> and for whatever reason, uh, maybe the Democrats are just having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why there's CRT. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Because we're just having a bad day. <laughs> so my my question is, what, why, why is it kind of a? I see with progressive, more progressive Christians versus more conservative Christians, this kind of refusal to see what's going on. Is there something foundational in our worldviews that is making this? just impossible for maybe those that are a little bit more progressive to see or not want to see? Uh, I look, I just think most, most Christians are, are ignorant. I mean, they not, I mean, they can tie their shoes and cook meals and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I, you know, I go into a, a Sunday school class at our, our church, which is a pretty conservative church. And I'll, I'll, I'll teach a couple of times. And the, a lot of these people are, these aren't real young people either. They're, well, they're my age, they're old. So <laughs> you know, they should know better, but they don't. They're, they, they're after every Sunday school class, it's like, oh, Gary, I never, I, I didn't know anything about that. Uh, and I just, part of that is, I think we're, we're so busy. You know, we're, we've got running here, we're running there, we're you know, raising our children and we're, we're, you know, we have jobs to take care of. I just think, number one, we don't know. And number two, we have, we've we've taught we've taught this kind of soft sell ethic that you just have to be nice all the time and defer to the op, you know opposition and even if there's tyranny, we need to uh, you know back off and go along because that's what the Bible says. And you cannot read you can't read the Bible and find that that kind of approach. It's just not there. I mean, at one point, the Apostle Paul got slapped across the face because he, he's, he you know, he said something that was you know, contrary to the religious establishment. He didn't apologize for it. He took the slap. But then you read, you read uh, Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are imprisoned. And as soon as, as, soon as the, the, the Roman government finds out that Paul is a Roman citizen, now, remember, People say, we must render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And I tell people, we don't live under Caesar. We live under the Constitution of the United States. And it says that we can petition the government for a redress of grievances. And I just go through the whole thing about the, talking about the, the, our government is a government of limited powers, uh, enumerated powers only. 
we have a right to say you know, say what we want about that. We can we can go up against the government and push and push and push and push. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. If you look at Acts 16, after they had been you know, beaten and put into prison, uh, and uh, they find out, find out that, Rome, that Paul was a Roman citizen, verse 35, it says, Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, Release those men. And most people would say, oh, that was great. You know, Paul, he, you know, he, he held back and they're going to release him. Now, the only reason they released him was is because he was exercising his, his Roman citizen, right. citizenship rights. And then the, the ver next verse, verse 36, and the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come and go in peace. And people would say, there you go. You know, you just go along with what the government says and you know, most cases they'll let you go and you can go, go about your business. Then verse 37, and that tricky little word called but. But, Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And then, what, and then they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. My guess is that most Christians have no idea that this story is even in here. But right. Look, look what happens. No, no, you're not going to treat us like this. We're going to, we're going to push. We're going to push back. And you're going to do what's right, and we we should be doing the same thing. And I think a lot of these parents have finally, you know, understood this. Not based on this, but they're just they saw their 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 children being you know damaged so much by this, and things weren't weren't being told, and they went up against this school board. Well, the school board started pushing back, and then they did a little more discovery, and they found out that they had uh, you know kept this this uh, rape this transgender person's secret, and that, that really did things on and on and on. And then, you know, the attorney general sends us this, this memorandum saying out here that these people are terrorists. And then finally, the Republican congressman get in there and blast this guy. And that's biblical. That is biblical. You can't read the prophets of the Old Testament uh, any other way that when, when the civil magistrates did something untoward regarding the people, that is exactly what sent them into exile. And the prophets went there, and some of them ended up dying as a result of it. And then if you look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot. She was full of justice, righteousness, once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, now, and your, your drink diluted with water. Those, that verse... That verse is exactly what our government has been doing since, well, before the 1960s, but basically since the 1960s, we got off the gold standard and we just we just pump money, pump un, unbacked money into the um, uh, into the economy and, and it ends up devalue, devaluing everything we have. I, I went online, um, I, periodically I go back and check uh, the price of the home I grew up up in we, we bought that my parents bought that home in 1955 when I was five years old mm. and they I think they paid like twelve thousand dollars for it mm -hmm. and uh, today on on Zillow 
it's $263,000. And you have to ask yourself the question, what happened? Well, it's it's because of this, your silver has become dross uh, and your drink diluted with water. What they've done is they've diluted the value of our currency in order to build the power of the state. Then it's verse 23, your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. So the, 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 the Bible deals with these issues in a very direct way, and that we should be dealing with them in the same way. Pastors in the church should be you know, dealing with these, these issues. You th- think what happened, Kamala Harris re- records this video and sends it to 300 black churches in Virginia to play on a Sunday morning to encouraging uh, the, the black members to go out and vote to, for, for Terry McAuliffe. Now, how, look, how bo- look how bold the, de- the Democrats are to do that. And in any other scenario, that would be considered breaking the law. You, according to the IRS, you cannot support a political candidate from the pulpit. It didn't didn't stop Kamala Harris from doing it, and you're not hearing you know you're not hearing any anybody going in there and go, going to these 300 churches and having them re- remove their tax exempt status. But the Alliance Defending Freedom has said, look, that that law is actually unconstitutional, and they the AD the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom will say, look, we will we will go to bat for you legally because we think that 1954 law was unconstitutional. I'm saying you need to stand up on the pulpit and you need to deal with these issues from the pulpit in a biblical way. Pastors still refuse to deal with these types of issues from the pulpit. They're afraid. They're afraid of losing people in in their congregation, you know, uh, because they're they're somewhat progressive. You know, there's some some have uh, their daughters have had abortions. I mean, the the problem is with us. And if we're going to change our society, it's going to have to come from the bottom up, not the top down. Yeah, that's so interesting, and it, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes me think of kind of something you were getting at earlier, which is that what we can do right now is basically exercise our freedoms. So why is that? So yeah. I mean, it should be yeah. apparent based off of the whole thing you just talked about with Paul why it's important to exercise your freedom. But um, yeah, what are some ways that we can exercise our freedom, and why? Why is it important, especially? with what we're facing currently? Of course, I, I think pastors don't know how to do it. I, I really believe they do not know how to, 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 to preach and teach on biblical worldview Christianity because they have been taught that the Bible does not apply to those things. Uh, we're, the world in which we live today is governed by Satan or we're living in the last days and all this stuff was predicted in the Bible. We're afraid of losing our tax exempt status. We're going to lose members if we start talking about politics. Look, you don't have to talk about politics per se. All you have to do is just deal with the issues from a biblical perspective. You know, for example, go back to Isaiah chapter one, look at those passages, understand the implications of those passages, and begin to teach from it. And my, I, the first time I heard a sermon uh, on this was in 19. Oh, I think it was 1978. It was the first time I had heard Dr. Gary North speak. And he was at Reformed Theological Seminary. Uh, he was there when uh, it wasn't really a debate, but Richard Mao was one of the speakers. And then Dr. North came and he spoke as well. 
And Dr. North gave a, a, a talk on Isaiah chapter one. Now, my wife was, a, we had just been married in 19, 1977, so the year before, and she, you know, she sat there kind of dumbfounded. She said, I, you know, I had a, an economics class in college and I never heard anything like this. And I, I suspect that most pastors could not teach on what the Bible says about economics except pay your tithe. Pay your tithe uh, or you're going to go to hell. But they have no, no way to understand what the Bible says about economics and how, you know, un understand, without understanding that, they can't make application to what's taking place in the, in the world today. Um, so, you know, you're, you're in a situation where you have people, you know, who, underst who understand this. And right. what you're hearing isn't typical of what's, of what's being heard out there. Uh, a lot of these, we have Andy Stanley, who's the son of Charles Stanley. Mm -hmm. He's got this huge, huge church network in, in the area. And he is opposed to all of this. And he's got thousands and thousands of people that he speaks to every week. And they're, they're in, a, in a dream world. They have no idea how to deal with these things. Of course, his, you know, his father wasn't, you know, that, that based in this, this either. But a lot of people like to just sit back and you know, drink it all in. And uh, I use the analogy of uh, the Peking duck syndrome, where Peking duck, in order to get the Peking duck, it's, it's a rich, uh, you know, mouth-watering, melt-in-your-mouth um, uh, meat from, from, uh, from a Peking duck, where they, they would tie its legs and they would tie its, its, its wings, and all they would do is just feed it. And they, they, they got real, real tender, and then they would cook it. And then you'd eat these very thin slices of the duck. And that's what a lot of Christians are. All they're doing is taking all of this, this stuff in, and they're getting spiritually fat, and they can't do anything. They don't, they're not given any training on how to apply the Bible beyond their personal salvation, their personal spirituality. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess the extent of their view of like the freedoms that we have are just like kind of the freedom to be who we are, like yeah. the freedom to at least be a Christian. And that's kind of it. Whereas right. we exercise, we can exercise, we have all kinds of freedoms that I guess a lot of people don't realize they can exercise the freedom to not put their kids in public yeah. school. <laughs> um, that, and, but see, public schools are free. They're free. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Well, somebody's paying for them. Right. Uh, and it's generally everyone. Right. Uh, it's your kids. People, <laughs> yeah, this uh, this um, lot of people were interviewed in New Jersey. And one of the reasons they're not going to vote for the Republican is because they don't want to turn New Jersey into Texas. And the first question I would like to ask if I were on the scene there and had my mic, I said, now, do you have an income tax in New Jersey? said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty high in here. Well, you know, you don't want to be like Texas, but Texas doesn't have an, a, a state income tax. So tell me, what is it about Texas that, that you, don't, you don't like? Uh, and, you, and let me just tell you, New, New Jersey, uh, Delaware, all those, all those states kind of surrounding Washington, D.C., they are dependent upon the federal government. They are so bound up with the federal government that it's 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 hard to get them to move beyond it. Delaware, for example, where do you think all the credit card companies, most of the credit card companies are based? They're in Delaware. 
And why are they in Delaware? Is because Joe Biden for 40 years has protected has protected these companies uh, through through legislation. They, you know, there's this old saying that money is a coward. It goes where it is most protected. And you can look at the states and you can see what's what goes on where money is protected the most. And you can get some idea of this idea of the administrative state is what is controlling us right now, not so much the politicians. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've never heard someone put it as like, uh, obviously, you didn't call it an administrative, like, it's not a official branch, but it is a branch. Yeah. And it's that's well, where yeah. the stuff's happening. They can make they, they've already made laws about uh, what, what agency was it that made laws and said uh, the, the landlords landlords don't. Oh, yeah. Uh, can't collect rent. They still can't collect rent. And it was it was an agency of the government that said that it wasn't Congress. Congress didn't didn't legislate that it came it came right from some from the administrative state. That, that, that's that just isn't constitutional. And we should be fighting against that. We can petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's right in the First Amendment, along with freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and freedom of the press. They're all in the, that's all in the First Amendment to the Constitution. And if, if, again, if you want to render unto Caesar, that's our Caesar, the Constitution of the United States. That's our Caesar. We're not a monarchy. Uh, we don't have a king. We have a representative form of government that we can throw the bums out if we want to, but there are too many of us who are bound up in the idea that the government is going to pay for things. You know, with free, you know, free, free medical care, free college, uh, canceling debts. People, people like that kind of stuff. But somebody is paying for this, you know, down, you know, down the road. And then the Democrats use that against against Republicans. That are that are trying to get us back on, on a fiscal conservative basis. Now, look, I, well, some Republicans are are just as bad as some Democrats, but they're not as bad as as the Democrats. Right. Well, so something I keep seeing, and you've touched on this a little bit. Something I keep seeing online is whenever there's a discussion about, you know, knowing your rights that redress of grievances, like Christians should be standing up for people who are losing their jobs over mask mandates, vaccine mandates. A lot of Christians are saying, well, you know, what I see in the New Testament is a call to self-sacrifice, a call to lay down your rights for the benefit of others. And that's really being pressed hard right now by a lot of the big evangelical groups. What would be your response to that? Well, I'd like to see the passages that they're they're using to to try to make that case. Uh, but again, there are just there, there there are too many examples in Scripture where, you, especially in the Book of Acts, where there's where there's pushback. Uh, and the Apostle Paul later in the Book of Acts, when he was about to be beaten uh, for some disturbance, uh, he said, "Would you beat a Roman citizen?" And the the the, the uh, representative of the of the government says, "Well." I, I had to pay for my for my uh, Roman citizenship, and the Apostle Paul said I was born a Roman citizen. And so he, again, this uh, there was this 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 pushback. Uh, and then then the other the other thing is where do where do you draw the line? Where where do you draw the line? This is you know kind of boiling the 
you know, the, 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 the frog in the pot. You know, first, you know, the water is just nice and warm, and I like to tolerate this, but by the time that the, the water gets, gets too hot, you, you know, the, the, the frog can't jump out because he's, he's cooked. So we have to make a stand somewhere on, on these issues. And, and keep this in mind as well. The, the media and, and a, a lot of these um, you know, social, social media networks are keeping facts away from us. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have not been vaccinated. Uh, I've traveled all across the country in the last you know, year and a half or more, but on airplanes, of course, was up in, uh, uh, where were we, Florence? Uh, oh, yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Lebanon. I mean, with 1,200 people there. I don't, I, I don't think I saw anyone with a mask on. Uh, so something's going on here. And, and I'm not saying that, uh, and, and I'm in the high risk group being over 70 years old. Uh, something is going on. We're not being told everything. And, and typically, uh, if you go back and say, follow the science, following the science is allowing for contrary opinions to come in to say, hey, maybe there are, are alternative alternatives to this. And then you have to bring up the question of, wait, wait a minute, some people have been harmed by these by these vaccines. They've been pressured to take them and they've been harmed, especially. And there was this uh, bodybuilder, in the, I think he was in his, in his 20s, he got the second shot and he was, you know, he's dead a couple, you know, a couple days later. And someone said, oh, he must have died of something else. Well, we don't know that because you don't allow us any contrary opinions. If you go on Facebook, anytime you put anything up about a vaccine, right. their, their mask comes up and says, hey, click here and get more, you know, get more information. They don't do that about anything else, only about this. Uh, and you know, this, you know, again, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If a mask works and someone else doesn't have a mask on, then you're, there's no problem. If you, if, if you want to get a vac- you know, vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you believe that the vaccine works, then you shouldn't have a problem with somebody who isn't vaccinated. If there are lots of people out there who aren't vaccinated and who aren't wearing masks, they're taking the risk. Who's being bothered by any of this? That's the question. Who's being bothered? You're, if you're vaccinated, if it works, no problem. If the mask works, no problem. So whose toes are we stepping on here? And who, and where aren't we being loving about all this? The state's being loving by uh, essentially uh, firing 25% of the, of the, of the uh, police and, and the fire department in New York City. So again, What's going on here? Not too long ago, uh, when 9-11 took place, oh, these were heroes. The the fire department and the police were were heroes. And then, you know, prior to this whole epidemic, you had all these nurses and doctors who were treating all these people, had signs up everywhere, our heroes, our heroes. And now, you know, they're losing their jobs over this. So, you know, I want to know here, who isn't being loving? It seems to me that the people who are pressing for people to t- take, you know, take a vaccine or wear a mask are the ones who are being unloving. They are the ones who are trying to force people to do something they don't want to do. And there's no, according to what they've been told, there is no risk in, uh, if you're wearing a mask and you get vaccinated. There's no problem. Uh, so you just, you just have to keep pushing these people to either admit the masks work or don't work, or the vaccine works or doesn't work. If it works, no problem. If it doesn't work, then there's a problem with the vaccine, and we need to go back to square one. 
Yeah, I think the problem with what you're saying is that it's very logical, and we're just not doing no. that anymore. I right. I know. They, people, people just cannot follow a, a logical argument beyond the third step. No, uh, and and that's and that's you know that's part of our educational system. This is why yeah. with working with my grandchildren, are constantly forcing them to work through issues, you know, bringing this up and questioning them, and they've gotten used to it. And that's what we need to do. They make a statement, and I said, well, how do you know that? Well, so and so, I said, well, how do you know he or she knows that? Well, so and so said this. Well, did you check it out? You know. We, you you can't start early enough in order to get people to start thinking thinking through issues. That and yeah. anyway, that's uh, that's just the way you know we have been. We work in our our household, and our our two our two sons are very aggressive logically, and I'm sure they irritate people like I do, and you and you two do as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say um, I have this little personal opinion that. Um, you were t- just talking about public education and my personal opinion is that, 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 um, uh, my sole, uh, education and ethics came from our section that we did on the Holocaust. Mm. Um, and I think that in, at least in high school, I think that's how they teach kids what's right and wrong. And it's basically like, don't be Hitler. And you know that quote that like those who don't know about history are doomed to repeat it. Well, right. now you know about it. So now you can't be Hitler because you won't repeat it because you know about it. Um, yeah. And, and I, yeah. the end. Uh, yeah. And I just feel, um, I feel like I was, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, um, being saved opens your eyes. There's a supernatural element there to the logic that we speak of. But like you said, I really do think, um, I think a lot of us, a lot of the people we're dealing with were taught that if they don't do what Hitler did, they're they're okay. okay. Um, and because they learned about Hitler, they'll know not to do what he did. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I'm sure, I'm sure the people in Germany at the time, probably thought very similar that they wouldn't they wouldn't fall under the same trap that happened with World War One. Right. It wasn't too long after World War One that they right. were in World War Two. Right. Uh, and it's it, it's 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 interesting that um, I have a I have a friend who was teaching this course on uh, on, on thinking, logic, uh, informal fallacies and Thank so goodness forth. someone's but, teaching that. <laughs> yeah, he put he put a little course together. He's really he's quite quite good at it. And so he talks to a couple of pastors and this one pastor said, Oh no, not in my church. You're not teaching that in my church because then the people in my church will start questioning me about things. Oh and yeah. He actually said, he actually said that mm. they don't want people to, you know, to, to, to question, you know, and you go, you go back to the Holocaust and you go back to the Nuremberg trials. And what happened at the Nuremberg trials is they could not find could not find anything within their legal system, their moral legal system, that they could actually apply to what these 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 men did. Mm. On, on what basis was it wrong? And I don't know if you follow this story a number of years ago, where a man, um, uh, what did he see? See, he uh, advertised he he wanted somebody who would be willing to be. Uh, killed and eaten. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. We know this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he got people. 
who who agreed to this, and right. he actually went through with it. So they, he goes to he goes to the court, and the court didn't have a basis on which to, you know, what did he do wrong? This guy just agreed to it, and you know, da, da, on and on. So but, so they come back and say they didn't have any law against this. Uh, they gave that gave, gave that up a long time ago. So basically, the guy was you know he must have been mentally ill. Both of them must have been mentally ill. But if you go back to the Nuremberg trials, they were in the same dilemma because their defense was we were just following orders. You can't bring, you can't impose your morality on us. How long, how many times have we heard that? They keep hearing that from the left. You can't impose your morality on us. Well, the Germans used that argument. They also went back uh, to the to the Buck v. Bell case where it was uh, the Supreme Court said it was okay to sterilize people. And so they, they forced the antithesis. They said, we're just taking your principles in all this. And, and so what ended up happening is, is that the, the court, the Nuremberg court, decided they needed a, uh, a transcendental, an ethic outside of themselves in order to uh, account for the moral wrongs. Now, they didn't appeal directly to God, but they, uh, they appeal to kind of a higher power, a, a law of, of, above the law in order to make this case. And this is the, this is the problem we have today. I and mean, Christians are, are just as susceptible to it. That's, I wrote a whole book on it called Myths, Lies, and Half-Truths. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've, been, they've been sold a bill of goods. Uh, you're, you're way, way too young to remember this. I don't even know if you were alive when, when Francis Schaeffer was was going around the country and pointing all these things out, and he just he faded, you know, completely faded. Most Christians have no idea who he was or what he was saying, and it's because pastors in the pulpit didn't pick up with what Francis Schaeffer was doing and begin to explain all this to to the people in the pew. Um, so because it's it's somewhat intellectual, you have to be able to follow an argument, and that's hard for a lot of people to do. Right. No, I uh, Francis Schaeffer was required reading. Well, yeah, for you. Yeah, for me. I, yeah, I would, I would expect that. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody who's listening, write that down. <laughs> Required reading, Francis Schaefer. Yeah. And unfortunately, Francis Schaefer's son, Frankie Schaefer, went off, completely went off the rails. Right. Uh, you know, you know, very just yes. shameful, shameful stuff that he did. And, yeah. Uh, but you know, but Nancy anyway. Piercy really, yes. as a student of his, we've we've had her on, and her books we're always trying to get people to read because she's very clearly Schaefer's student yes. and has kept yeah. kept that alive. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and yeah, Os, Os, Os Guinness is another one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes. I, that's one of right. the first books I read as a Christian was The Dust of Death. Uh, it was a marvelous, marvelous book. Uh, it's it's a little out of date because you know there's. Other things have transpired, but it's very well written, shows the, the implications of worldview thinking, the dust of death. If you ever get a hold of a copy of it, it's great. The other one is The Gravedigger File, which is written kind of in the spirit of uh, Lewis's uh, screw, tape, screw Tape Letters. Lots of clever sayings in there uh, uh, about what's, what's happened in the church. But see, it's too... It, you go, go to the typical Christian bookstore if they even exist anymore, mm. and and look what the best sellers are. Right, uh, it's judgment the, on us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, look who the look who the big the, the, the big stars are and what they're teaching. Yeah, uh, it's it's shameful, shameful. Yeah. 
Well, um, do we have a final question? I just had a fun question. Oh, a fun question. Let's Uh-oh. do it. We okay. like to just ask a fun question okay. to help us get to know you a little bit more. Um, and this is kind of my go-to question. So, okay. Um, if someone were to like bring you the most perfect sandwich, oh, wow. what would that entail? It can be from a specific place, like a very specific Sandwich? Oh, actually, okay, that's that's an easy one, right? Okay, there. all oh, right, good. okay, that is very easy. There is a place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. It's called Danny's, Danny's Pizza and Hoagie, Hoagies. And when I was in high school, there was kind of there was a McDonald's, an Eaton Park, and Danny's, and people would congregate at the at the McDonald's, a big big parking lot. And they drive their cars up, up, up the road. They'd go into Eaton Park around there, and then they'd drive up to Danny's and drive around there, and so forth. They do this, this kind of circuit all night long, and we hang out. We'd hang out down there. We out of our cars and, and, and talk at the McDonald's parking lot and, and so forth. And there, you, if you went to Danny's, you could kind of park up there, and there was a drive-in movie theater down below, so oh. you could sit there and watch the movie. And sometimes, depending on Kind of what the what was it the atmosphere was like? You could hear you could hear some things because of those those uh, speakers that you hung on your window, and they were all out, and you could hear, so you could watch this movie. But Danny's has the absolute best Italian hoagie that you could ever ever eat. It was, and so anytime I go to Pittsburgh, I, if, if I'm there for three days, I've been to Danny's at least three times. <laughs> And in fact, one time uh, we my, took our, my family up there when our two boys were younger and we went to Danny's. And when I went up there to visit, they said, Dad, you've got to bring back all the fixings for Danny's. And so, and this is typical. If you go up there today, you will find people from out of town coming there because they grew up and had the, that Italian, that, that hot Italian um, uh, hoagie. Uh, they just they, they just have to have it. Uh, and sometimes I'll just if, if at any time I can get up to Pittsburgh, I'm going up in December. Uh, anytime I can go to anywhere near the Pittsburgh area, I always go into Pittsburgh, spend a couple of days and go to Danny's at least at least twice. In fact, one particular time when my mother was still living up there, I flew into Pittsburgh and rented a car and, and Carol uh, Carol called and said, well, you're at your mom's yet. And I said, well, no, not yet, because I stopped at Danny's first. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway. It's that good. Uh, she already knew. So, yeah. so if you ever get up to Pittsburgh, let me know. I'll give you the directions. And, the, and look, they are using the same pans that they used in the 1960s wow. to bake the hoagies on. So Well, that's, that's a, how you that's know they sand- mean it. That's my right. sandwich story. Yeah, seriously. Oh, no, that's great. That's excellent. And... We can, it, I mean, I think some of our favorite sandwich, sandwich recommendations are ones you can still go eat right now. Today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. That, well, that's that. In fact, the last time I was up there, uh, I took, a, I took a detour and I go there and, oh no, it was closed. They were doing some remodeling and so forth. And so I took this long trip around to get to Pittsburgh and I was so, so disappointed. So I checked periodically online to make sure they're still in business. I think it's been sold. <laughs> Okay. But apparently the hoagies are still the same. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on with us. Um, I doubt it'll be the last time we have you on. Hope not. 
the um, next time we're going to be live from Danny's with Gary right? Mark. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love it. Boy, we could, we, we could, uh, we could really bring the bring the business into Danny's. In fact, I wrote an article. Wrote an article about it. I, I was watching this um, this show on. I think it was WQED. It was a public broadcasting, and this this uh, this fellow from the Pittsburgh area was doing about famous uh, sandwiches in around the country. And Pittsburgh does have another famous sandwich place. It's down in the Strip area outside of Pittsburgh. I think it's called Pamonte's or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. And it was always on the truck route where truckers would come and that they, they had to get you know, kind of, they wanted to eat on the, on the go. And so they, they these various sandwiches and then they would also put French fries on them and then wrap it up and these guys would take it. So it's very, very famous. And so this, 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 I watched this show. Anyway, I wrote the guy a letter and I said, hey, you know, what are you familiar with Danny's? And he said, well, I've got to tell you, I live, I, I actually grew up in Bethel Park and our house was right up the hill looking down on, on Danny's. And he said, I have to admit, you're absolutely correct. It is one of the best sandwiches out there. Oh, yeah. Oh. You didn't know you were asking like the ultimate question that he would have. This is why you have to ask. You have to ask people about their sandwich preferences because yeah, you never yeah. that's, know that's, what you're going to find. That's, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, but every, <laughs> anybody who knows me would know that's exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, we know we know Dad's favorite sandwich. My wife does too. Oh, so. well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for giving oh, us so much thanks. time. Thanks, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, God bless, thank and you, you have a good one. You, you too. See ya. Bye. 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 Well, what a Wasn't wonderful. That great. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was great, and I really hope that it encouraged you guys and yeah, gave I you know. something to think about. Yeah, a lot to think about. I feel like sometimes, you know, what's funny about theologians. Uh huh. Um, I think they all have very intense food preferences oh, and yeah. feelings. And, you know, that could probably be said for a lot of people, but what is this that This is face? so interesting. Because, okay, so I'm going to give you guys a little behind the, behind the scenes okay. thing right here. Mm-hmm. We did an interview with Uncle Gary. Uncle it was Gary. wonderful. You guys just heard it. Yeah. Um, so... We don't like to uh, make our guests sit and wait while we record an intro. Right. So we, ew. right. So we do the interview, then they go, then we exit, and then we record an intro, which we cut and move to the front of the episode. Yeah. And would you believe that this, that you're bringing up right now at the end of the episode is something that I was going to bring, bring up, up at the beginning. in the next segment. Oh, no. Which is technically before, but also technically after. Okay. So the only thing to do now is to... Well, you finish your thought because I totally... We'll, we'll laugh about it in honestly, a sec. When we... It's just going to be a weird Inception episode. For everyone listening, I've already talked about it. <laughs> And I hope you all have a great week. (laughs) And we will see you next week. Yes, stars shining bright above you. Night breezes sing to whisper I love you. Birds singing 
in the sycamore trees. <laughs>